You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, if you turn to Acts chapter 2, you're probably really familiar with this passage now, right? Because what we've done is we've kind of created a, a text for the month of March. I've enjoyed it. And I, I've used a lot of other verses, and we're going to be in different places in Scripture, but we're going to be right back where we've been, and we're going to open up God's Word and look again at what, what is really becoming uh, a, a beautiful way to study how the church can be the church and what it looks like to pray for the church and to be the church and, and what the early church has given us as an example to follow. And I love the book of Acts. And so this week, Joe and I, my son Josiah, he's my second-born son, we decided to take a quick trip to New Orleans on Thursday. We slept at my dad's house on Friday, and we drove back on Friday, uh, uh, excuse me, Thursday night, and we drove back Friday morning. It was a quick trip to see dad and have dinner with him Friday night, and my step, my Thursday night, my stepmom, and then head back. Well, <clears throat> while we're there, man, I'm telling you, I, I noticed so many things in so many ways that I'm like my dad. Has anybody ever been told that, you know, hey, you remind me of your mom? You know, I've, I've been told that too. If you meet my mom or know my mom, she's a very high-spirited lady, and she, there's a lot of things about mom that I have similarities to, and so I count that as an honor too to when someone says, you know, you remind me of your mom. But there's something special about being like your dad, right? And so my dad, uh, I was there, and I was, I've always wondered, little things as I get older hit me, like things like, I, why don't I wear sandals? Why don't I wear shorts, out, usually out in public? There's nothing wrong with sandals or shorts. My dad doesn't do it, and he's never done it. And he's always kind of said, you know, if he sees one of the grandkids in shorts, oh, boy, come on, boy, put a pair of blue jeans on, you know. It's just funny, you know. It, it, it's, just, it's just being 80-year-old papa, but he's my dad. And so I usually just don't do things sometimes, not because they're right or wrong. It's just dad doesn't do it. I'm like my dad, you know. I got characteristics of my dad. In fact, we were, Joe and I were driving on the way back, and I said, well, Joe, I said, I guess you spent some time this week with what your dad's going to be like in a few years. He says, in a few years, dad, that was you today. He said, that's you, Dad. I mean, it's a replica. Hanging out with Papa is exactly like hanging out with you. And it's even more so when you're with him, you know. And uh, I tell you, he's a great guy. And and I'm so thankful for my dad. Almost 81 years old and still going strong. And just every day out and about and working and just so blessed to have a dad. And, And I think it's a good thing to be like your dad. Now, I know not everyone, that's a good thing. Not everyone is in a situation where that hits home, and that's special. I realize that. So I've got some news for you, for all of us today. Scripture says in John chapter 1, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mean, church, think about it. We are the children of God. If you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Scripture says you have the authority to be called a child of God. He's your father. And guess what? The church is the family of God. And we should be like our father. We should be like our dad. And as a church family, we're looking at ways that we can become more like our father as his children, and we are his family. And so we can be like our heavenly father. We're supposed to be like our father. We're his kids. He's our dad. 
and we're talking about the church. And God's family is called the church, and I love God's family. You know, I'm here today because of the church. I really am. I mean, it holds a very special place in my heart because being raised in a single-parent home by my mom and knowing that it was the church that rallied alongside my single-parent mom who had to work many third shifts, many nights she couldn't come home, and we'd have to sleep over at the youth pastor's house or hang out a little later with some families in the church. I mean, we were adopted. My brother and I, he pastors in Las Vegas. I pastor in Hot Springs. My brother and I were basically adopted by the church. And the church loved us. And so if my message seems a little more passionate this morning, it's because everything I'm telling you today is why I'm here today. I'm here today because of God's family, the church. And I'm grateful for it, and I'm overwhelmed by it, and I love this church with all of my heart. You know, 30 years, we're about to celebrate 30 years, and I've been the only senior pastor for 30 years, and man, I tell you, I can't imagine being separated from my my church family. I I can't imagine. It doesn't, you know, after 30 years especially, the, the longer the sweeter, but I just can't imagine what it would be like to be anywhere else. And, and, and to hug anybody else on Sundays and to, and, and to shake anybody else's hands. Uh, this has been my home and my family's home for 30 years, and I love this church. Let's read our text of the month, Acts chapter 2. See if you see with me in this text something that I'm going to mention after I read it. See if you see it. And with many other words, he bore witness. He continued to exhort them. He said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. One day, 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves. And I've been using at times a translation that has said, and they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. As a result of all of that, as a result of those things, all, all came upon every soul as a result of the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles, and all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together day by day, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that a happy picture? Isn't that happy? Don't you just want to smile after you read that text? I mean, that is an on-fire church. I mean, the fire alarm is going off in the early church right now. No doubt. That's that's what the church is supposed to be. The verses we have read now for these four weeks in a row is what the church is supposed to be. We want to be that kind of church. Do it here, God. Do it at Gospel Light. And so we're praying for the church. We're praying as God's people. We're learning how to devote ourselves to continually and steadfastly to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayers. Let's review real quick the month of March. First of all, March chapter 6, we said this, and you'll remember it if you weren't here. I'm going to tell you for the first time, but if you were here, you'll remember we said this. 
that gospel light would have an immovable commitment to the truth. That gospel light would have in a day where absolute truth is laughed at. It's mocked, even by the church. Many, many churches are, are watering down the truth. We, we sort of want to be half in and half out. And so we see that all around us in denominations having fractures and splits as people take different sides of different things. And, well, this, 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 this side is intolerant. This side is too tolerant. There's all kinds of things that are happening. And yet God reminds the church here when he says that the apostles were continuing steadfastly, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They preached the Old Testament, we said. They preached the words of Jesus himself because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 when he looked at his disciples and said, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you. I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. And then they taught what they wrote in the epistles because these men were, had written the epistles, and now they were teaching what they had written, which is what God had taught them. Basically, here's what they did. They just preached the Bible. They preached the Word. And we can be like our Father when we are committed to the truth. We can be like our Dad, because our Dad is truth. He loves the truth. And we, when we are committed to the truth like He's committed to the truth, we're like our Father. And so gospelite is determined, and we're excited about having this immovable commitment to the Bible. Number two, we said this on March the 13th, that gospelite would have a commitment to fellowship, having an incredible heart for people. Why would we be committed to fellowship like that? Why would we be committed to having a heart for people? Because our dad is. Our dad's committed to this. And we, we see that in the text again when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. That word fellowship, koinonia, the, the, the common life together that we enjoy as a church family. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back to that in a very simplistic way as, as we look again at the book of Acts in the month of April where we're praying for revival at our church again. It's all about us. That's what this is about. It's about, the, the key word here is together. We serve together. We work together. We witness together. We walk together. We weep together. We worship together. Together. We live life together. You see, God loves people. He loves people. And so, we want to have a love for people, an incredibly intense love for people. That's what Love Day was all about. That's what it was all about. It's about loving others in our community, inviting them to our, to our campus and, and, and say, what can we do for you? How can we pray for you? Can we meet a need in your life? God's all about that, and God loves it when his church is all about that. Yesterday, we had a, a baseball game, and I noticed that many of our church members, in fact, I talked to some church members in the first service who said, man, we had a great time at the baseball game. Man, it was awesome. We hang out with these people in the church, and we watched the baseball team play and cheered them on. It was so exciting. And I thought, that's what it's about. It's about looking at what's going on at Gospel Light this week. Oh, there's a baseball game. Hey, I've got time on Saturday. It's good weather. I'm going to go support the team. I just love being together. 
Also, our youth are in Indianapolis on an activity. Mo took off with about 11 of our young people, and they went up there to go to some concert, you know, that I probably wouldn't enjoy it. They would, though. Teens love, you know, all that loud music and exciting stuff. It's all cool, right? They're up there having a great time. But you know what I noticed? They're not just going to a concert. I've noticed they're doing things together. They're eating together. They're playing together. They're having fun together. They're going to church this morning together at Matt Thistle's church, a former assistant pastor at our church. Those young people, what, what excites me more than anything is they are together. They're living life together. I think about the Garrett retirement home yesterday, speaking to those beautiful people there. Many of you have spoken to them as well. It's a beautiful thing to live our lives together. You know, years ago, and again, I know I keep bringing up old school stuff. Maybe it's because I'm getting nostalgic because our 30-year anniversary is coming up, so I'm feeling like old. We used to sing this song in church before it was right to clap or raise your hands. I know I'm being silly when I say that, but, you know, we were kind of the more formal Baptist church back in the day, right? And so before any of that, we used to sing, I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with. And then when we stop right there, everybody would go and clap. I'm like, oh, my goodness, we just clapped in church, you know. Now we do a lot more than that. But I love that old song. I, I, I love it because it's true. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together. You know what? I'm looking at some of you right now, and you're thinking, this dude is a freak show. He's weird. I mean, who gets excited as excited? I mean, he is just overdoing this thing. No, I get it. I get it. This is not a freak show. It's real. I love church. I love it. It's my hobby. It's what I do. It's what I love. I I love worshiping Jesus. He died for the church. He gave himself for the church. And I love getting together with God's people, and my dad does too. Oh, yeah. My heavenly father loves this. He died for the church. He gave himself for the church. And then Thirdly, on March chapter 20th, we said that Gospelite would be committed to loving Jesus by remembering what he's done for us, the Lord's Supper, and by praying fervently, communicating with Jesus. We see that again in Acts 2, 42, as we continue through the text, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They're they're fired up about Jesus because they, they want to remember him day by day. It says day by day they broke bread together and day by day they prayed together. He was the consuming passion, Jesus was, the consuming passion of the early church. He was worth their highest and he was worth their very best. In in church, I I know that I've probably preached from this text before. I mean, I've been here 30 years. I'm sure this is maybe the fourth or fifth time I've preached from this text. But may it be new and fresh and exciting. May this be a reminder that we too should have a consuming passion for Jesus Christ. And that's why we get together and partake of the Lord's Supper. That's why this Good Friday service, you will not want to miss it. It's going to be all about a passion and a love and, a, and, a, and, a, and an exaltation of Jesus Christ. It's going to be beautiful. And guess what? We're going to get to do it together. Together. And the early church understood this. I, I love our theme this year. I love it. Praying, the year of prayer, praying for the church, praying learning how to pray together and learning how to pray for each other. And there's a lot of different themes we're going to have throughout the year. You know, I got saved on September the 1st, 1978. And I'm telling you, I I fell in love with Jesus that day. 
I did. I, I, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I mean, there was no one that came in contact with me as a young teenage lad that didn't say, what in the world has gotten into you? I mean, I, I'm telling you, I was passionately in love for Jesus when I got saved. And I want to announce to you today that I am passionately in love for, with Jesus. I'm pursuing him. I, I know I, I want to love him more. I want to worship him more. I want to know more about him and the power of his resurrection. I even want to know more about the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know him and passionately know him. And this was the desire of the early church. And then we see number four, and I'm actually going to come back to this, so just jot the notes down for now. But March 27th, the gospel light would be a church with a commitment to give generously. Now, I'm going to come to that in a few minutes, but before I get to that, I want you, I want you to see something because there's a verse here tucked away in this passage that deals with some things that were the result of Acts 2.42. And so, we see very specifically in Acts 2.43 that there were two things that were happening as a result of all of these other things that were going on, such as the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, and awe. Number one, awe. Awe came upon everybody in the church, every soul. Some, some of your translations may use the word fear. And fear came upon. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, it's interesting. There are two times in Acts 5, 1 through 10 to 15 in that area, it talks about Ananias and Sapphira tells the story. Remember those two yahoos, what they did? Married couple, they committed to give something and said they'd give something, but the Bible says they were deceitful about it and they held it back. And God killed them. I mean, it's a toughie. You might say, no, no, I, read it. They both died. Now, aren't you thankful we're living in the age of grace? Amen. And I'm grateful today that, but I think God was making a statement. It says, when that happened, it says that great fear came upon them. Great fear. You know, today, if you're running from God or you're away from God, or maybe you're lost in, in, in your sin, and, and, and I, I would imagine there's, there's fear involved in that, a, a different type of fear, but fear of, of what could happen. But there's also a a, a, a healthy fear for those of us who know Christ. We're saved. We, yes, we tremble at his presence. We, we, we bow before him in reverence, but we're also in awe of his goodness and his love. And at the same sense that we, we, we have this awe and fear of God, we also experience this love and we're, we're, to where when we worship him together in our churches, we just did a moment ago, our hands are lifted up and we're praising him and worshiping him and thanking God. Why? Because we stand in awe of the greatness of our God. And that's the way they were. The word fear or awe here is a holy terror related to a divine presence. In other words, it's the feeling you get when you realize that, that God's here. You ever felt that way? You ever got so overwhelmed with the presence of God you just started weeping? so overwhelmed with the presence of God that you, may, you were in the service, but you almost felt as if you were all by your... I felt that way a moment ago when I was singing the song they were singing when the alarm went off. Honestly, the more I think about it, I didn't hear the alarm. When I looked up, I think I, I may... I, maybe I didn't, but I thought I caught Jordan's eye that he was like making sure that I knew it was happening so that I'd come up. But I mean, honestly, Jordan, I was so caught up in what we were singing, I don't even... I didn't even hear it. Because I was, in, I was just raptured by his presence. I'm caught up in your presence. 
man, I just want to sit at your feet, God. And this is the way they were. They were just at awe in the early church. As God was moving in the early church, they were filled with a sense of awe. And then secondly, it says that many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. I want to stay just a moment here and, and just speak into this a little bit. We don't experience it, and although we have experienced it in our own church. As a pastor, I've, there's been times where I've had to learn how to deal with this because there's two different extremes when it comes to this type of teaching in the church today. The first extreme is the apostolic gifts of doing miracles, where there are apostles today, and they're doing miracles today. And so we're, uh, we're, we're told that, hey, we ought to open up our church to calling people forward to be healed. And sometimes you see folks pushed over or maybe hit in the forehead, or some of our members have experienced services where they're, they fall to the ground. They're covered with blankets, and, and they, they're supposed to shake, and all of this is supposed to happen. And what happens is if it doesn't happen, guess what? It's your fault. You don't have enough faith. And so what happens is it builds up in the church a lot of confusion. But the other extreme says that, you know what, God doesn't do miracles anymore. That was in the past. God doesn't do stuff like that anymore. So you've got these two extremes that are warring against one another. And so what we need to do is understand what specifically is the Bible teaching here. I want to go to a passage of Scripture, very specifically, that deals with the apostles in Acts chapter 5. And I want you to ask yourself as we read this, and I comment on it, if, if you see any of this today. And many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. Who? The, the apostles. Nobody else dared to join. In fact, it says the people held them in such high esteem. Nobody even wanted to really join what they were doing. And more than ever, believers were added to the church, multitudes of both men and women, so that even they carried out the sick into the streets, and they laid them on cots and mats in the streets. So when Peter would come by, maybe his shadow would fall on them, implying that even if they couldn't touch him, if just his shadow would come across them, they would be healed. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. How many of you believe the Bible literally? You believe it word for word, literally, we believe the word of God. It's perfect, all right? And they were all healed. I believe that. Every one of them. I mean, every single person from every town, every village, everyone who was brought to the apostles, all of them were healed. So are there apostles today like that? I mean, think about it. Are there apostles? Is this happening? Because I, I guarantee you, if there's somebody that's got a shadow that powerful, Hey, you're holding out if you're not telling us about that. We need to know about that dude. I'd like to bring Glorianne to him or maybe Caroline or some others that are sick. I mean, if there's somebody that's got a shadow that powerful, let me tell you why I don't believe there are apostles today. Number one, because the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles. Very important that the church was built on that foundation. In fact, in Ephesians 5.20, it literally says, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So apostles were foundational to the church. Number two, apostles are not mentioned in the epistles. Yes, in the book of Acts, you see the apostles at work. And Peter, you, you, it's an amazing, miraculous hearings, uh, healings. We just read about one of that, those. In fact, primarily, the apostles had primarily the gift of healing. That was the primary thing that we noticed about the apostles in the early church and in the book of Acts. 
But thirdly, as we study church history, there is no one who claimed to be an apostle after the apostles died. For at least two to three hundred years, somewhere in between two and three hundred A.D. is when we started seeing these, these men call, uh, calling themselves apostles. Again, first of all, you couldn't call yourself an apostle too close to Peter because everybody knew Peter, and they saw what Peter did, and if you couldn't do what he did, they would know you're just a false apostle. And by the way, Scripture teaches us and warns us to be careful about false apostles. I believe in healing. I do. I, I believe in the gift of healing. Although apostles were foundational for the church, I mean, I have been asked, hey, why don't we call people up forward and just not have this service, and let's just have a healing service, and let's, let's uh, you know, preacher, you just need to have more faith that we can call people forward in the name of Jesus. We can do all these things. And I understand that there's been a lot of, uh, through the years, there's been probably a dozen different time. And most of those people stay for a couple of weeks, and if I won't do that, they'll, they'll go on. I do believe that Jesus healed. I believe God is a God of miracles. I believe he heals marriages. I believe he heals sickness. I believe God heals physically. God heals emotionally. But I believe that the New Testament method for healing is found in James chapter number 5 and verse 14 and 15, where Scripture says, if anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. I believe that James 5 teaches us this, that not so much should it be a call from the pastor or from an elder or from someone on a platform to call people forward, but I believe that people in the church should call the elders of the church. As Scripture teaches, if anyone is sick, let him call the elders of the church. And you know what? We're finding this happening more and more. You may be sitting here today and say, y'all do that? Really? So we can call the elders of the church and they'll come anoint us with oil and pray over us? Yes, we do and we will and we have. We've done it after Sunday morning service on many occasions. We've done it in my office. We've done it. I just went to a home recently and brought oil and anointed uh, someone who called and said, would you please come and anoint me with oil for healing? And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And so this is such a confusing matter that I wanted to spend a few moments very simply addressing it because Scripture addresses it. But I want you to now transition to my fourth point, and that is that Gospelite will be a church committed to give generously. What a transition. We go from healing to giving, right? So bear with me as we transition the message now as the text transitions. Look, if you would, please, at verse 44. The Bible says here that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's very interesting that a little farther down in the book of Acts chapter 4, that very same thing is said in a little different way with a little more wording. Follow along with me on the screen, if you would, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own because they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And then they laid it at the apostles' feet. They brought it to the church. They gave it to the church, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Wow. 
What an amazing passage of Scripture, right? Now, there's also false teaching along the lines of this because some would say, well, is this teaching communism or communal living? Do we just, pastor, are you suggesting we sell everything we have and just bring it to the church and then we divide it all up and live basically, you know, even on an even keel? Well, first of all, we see in Scripture that they went from house to house breaking bread. They had houses back then. There's a principle that Scripture is teaching here, and that is this, that the common need comes before the individual need. The common need comes before the individual need. Illustration. How many of you, without raising your hands, just in your minds, be thinking with me, how many of you have a list of things that you are wanting to get done? And there, we do. My wife and I have a list. Sometimes that list could be, the first thing might be something as small as, you know what we really need? We're saving up for a new piece of furniture. Maybe a new end table or a new couch or a new be, uh, bed or a new, uh, you know, lazy boy, right? That's cool. Maybe sometimes we hear we're saving up for a car or, or we're saving up for, for something that we really want. And so this list has three or four things, some top priorities and then some, some other priorities. And this is a list that, that as individuals we're looking to, to spend our resources on and our money on to get. But the church has a list too. And so sometimes there's needs in the church. Sometimes there's a need in Ukraine, or there might be a need in the International Mission Board. There might be a need that our missions pastor would come up and say, hey, one of our missionaries is needing to come home. There's needs. And so what Scripture is teaching here is that when we hear of a need in the church family or a a common need amongst the church family that we set aside our individual need and we 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 say we can do that later and we're going to give to the common need we're going to give to the great we will wait on the piece of furniture and we'll get the missionary home or we'll wait on the new car and and we'll we'll meet that need for the kingdom of god and this is what scripture is teaching it's a principle And the local church is the place where we can bring what God has given us individually and we invest it together. Understand this. When we understand practically and principally and conceptually what giving is, it makes so much more sense. And it's it's so much more powerful. And the early church understood that. They understood that when we come together and all of us contribute and all of us as God has given to us, we give back as we see the need. And the church of Christ is able to see what they happen to see. You see, when 3,000 people get saved, there's a lot of needs. I mean, when one person gets saved, usually we give them a Bible. Can you imagine 3,000 Bibles on one Sunday? What if we were to get them all a study Bible? That's usually what I do is try to get them a study Bible. We could give them all small little Gideon Bibles, and that would be nice, but we'd rather them have a study Bible so they can begin to really study God's Word. So can you imagine what it would have been like to be in a church where 3,000 people got saved and baptized on one Sunday? I mean, the needs were great. And they said, you know what? We think we'll put that couch, we'll delay that for about a year. We got some stuff going on at the church. And so, I want to close with giving you three characteristics of that kind of giving. And I want you to follow along in the text, and I'll close the message. They're right here in the text. Look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 44, where it says, And all who believed, number one, it begins at conversion. 
and all who believed. And all who believed. They believed, and as a result of believing, they gave. It is strange to talk about this kind of giving to someone who doesn't know the Lord. It's crazy. When I first came to Hot Springs, I got a guy to do my taxes and what little money I had. I, I let him kind of figure things out. He was lost. My accountant now is a wonderful deacon at Hot Springs Baptist named Michael Thompson. He's a godly man. In fact, every time I go into his office, he prays with me. It is so good to have a godly uh, accountant, but I didn't back then. So when I'd turn in my, my stuff for the taxes and finances, he would look at my giving statement, and he would always say, Eric, is this right? I would say, yes. He goes, this is like close to 30% of your income that you're giving to your church. I mean, this is kind of crazy. I go, oh, no, that's, that, that's, that's exactly accurate. He says, it seems kind of silly. I mean, you might want to rethink that. A whole lot of stuff you can do with that money. I mean, I just think this is a little exorbitant. I'm just a little crazy. I'm just being honest. Did I expect him to think any differently? All who believe. You see, when someone is converted to Christ, they are so overwhelmed by the grace of God and that their sins are forgiven. And when you really understand that, when that really sinks in, when you become in awe of the goodness and greatness of God, you want to give back. You just want to give back. It's the natural thing for a believer to do. Every believer has this. It wells up in all of us who know Christ. You say, well, wait a minute. It's not welling up in me right now. What are you saying? I'm not saying anything. I don't know where you stand with the Lord. I'm just telling you that every believer understands what I'm talking about. When you are converted by the grace of God, you desire to give. We want to give back. We want to support the work of the Lord. This is what Romans chapter 12 teaches when it says, it talks about this is our reasonable service to surrender. Some of the songs we sang this morning, they are over the top when it comes to Christ and His glory and, and His honor and His majesty. And, it, and they're, they're over the top. I mean, just when you think about the words to some of the songs we sing together as a church, which by the way, it's exactly what we should be singing. And we should not just sing those words, but believe them and live them and truly worship Him in that way. A farmer I don't know if we have many farmers in here. But a farmer was approached by his pastor. Pastor said, hey, Bill, if you had 100 cows, would you give 50 of them to the Lord? Well, sure, Pastor, yeah. I mean, if I had 100 cows, yeah, you know I would. No doubt about it. Well, Bill, if you had 100 horses, would you give 100 horses to the Lord, uh, 50 horses to the Lord? Would you give 50 of them? Oh, yeah, definitely, Pastor. Oh, I, if I had 100 horses, I'd get 50. He said, well, Bill, if you had two pigs, would you give one to the Lord? Oh, no, come on, Pastor. You know I got two pigs. You see, sometimes I think conceptually when we say things like, everything I have belongs to the Lord, it sounds so sweet, doesn't it? It sounds so good. And we feel good about saying that. Conceptually, it sounds good to say that, but when you start practicing that every Sunday morning with your checkbook, when you start asking yourself the question, hey, what do I think about the offering, the giving time? How do I look at the general budget? How personal do I take the missions? How personal do I take the blessing, the needs of my church? How involved am I? 
would I not purchase a couch if it meant that I needed to purchase a plane ticket for a missionary to get home? I'm throwing these things out there to provoke us. Listen, I lost a little sleep over this message last night. I did. Why in the world is it so hard to preach on giving? I don't even look forward to it sometimes. Because I know how close this is. I know it's so easy for us to, again, conceptually, to worship Christ. But this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we begin to really, really practice worship by learning to give. Yes, not just of our finances, but of our gifts and our abilities and our talents. And then number, number two, and it's in the text. It not only begins a conversion, but it begins to grow or build through fellowship. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 44, where it says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were together. God knew them as individuals, but God also saw them as a family. Individually, he saw them, but he looked at them more as a family, as the church of God, as the family of God, as children of God. And so as they grew in fellowship, and here's the thing, You get saved and you begin to give and you want to give. And then all of a sudden you get around God's people and you have testimony time. What can we pray with you guys about? Somebody raises their hand in your small group. It Maybe it's Cody. And Cody says, hey, just pray with me about this. My, You know, we're kind of praying about this certain need and we're not sure how it's going to be met. And somebody across the group says, huh, get in the car after and say, hear what Cody said? Yeah, honey, what do you think? I mean, I know we got a little money set aside for this, but I just think we need to help old Cody out. And because we were in fellowship and we heard the need, we got a heart for it. Because we love people, right? We love our church. And so when we begin to hear about needs in the church and we start weighing, well, you know what? I don't know. I think that's that's what I need to do with this. And, And I can give that. I can meet that need. I can even do it through my local church. This is what Scripture is teaching. This is where the common good comes before the individual need as we begin collectively to fellowship with one another and we get together and we help one another out. They were together. Carol Ann and I have not, in fact, I want to announce this as a, a confession of conviction by the Holy Spirit. My wife holds two small groups. She holds one on Fridays for, it's a pretty good one. It's a big one in our home from 9 o'clock to about 11.30. Some of you ladies, you've been in it for years, right? Neva and um, all the ladies sitting right there in that section. And many others. I think there's like 20 ladies that come. And then she has one on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock too with a good group of ladies. And it's, both of those are growing and, and very effective. But my wife and I have not had a small group together since the early days of our church. We did Sunday school back then, but we had our own class. And oftentimes we would have our class over our house. I miss that. And so this week, the Holy Spirit really convicted me to look at, at, at starting another small group in our home. So pray with me about that, because I, I know I, I'm convicted about that. I know that a pastor has a lot of things to do, and I just talked about that last week, right? But I, I just feel so convicted, because i tell you why. I miss being together in a small group and having the small talk. Level one conversation, like, hey, what's going on? Well, the Razorbacks lost yesterday. That's why church is so dead this morning. I'm just kidding. It was dead, right? Oh, the first service was awful. I thought it was the Razorbacks losing. I said, guys, I'm going to find out if the second service really is more spiritual than you guys. All right. No, we had fun with it. But you talk about the Razorbacks, right? That's small talk. 
It's not going to matter a hill of beans in heaven, and we'd all like to think that God was really calling the hogs last night. But I don't think he was. And then after the small talk, we would pray together. And there's nothing like it. Hey, let's just go around and give prayer requests. And we give prayer requests. And then we would just pray right there. And oftentimes we do this on, small, on Sunday school activities. And we would have seasons of prayer where we would cry out to God on behalf. I remember when my wife was really sick and, and everybody gathered around her. And I mean, it was, I've not been in a prayer service like that in a long time. In my home where all of our Sunday school laid hands on my wife and prayed for her to be healed. It was powerful. And by the way, God did heal my wife, and not, not maybe the way that we were projecting, but God took care of some things, and that's another story. But, and then we would also always worship together. We'd sing songs. We'd just sing. And we had hymn books back then. That's kind of the way we worshiped back then. But we'd pass out hymn books at the small group. We might do it a little different today. Now I'd, I'd probably get Chloe to bring her guitar or Mo. But back then we just got our hymn books out and nobody in my family knew how to play any instruments. So we just sang like acapella hymns, but it was so emotional. We'd weep as we'd sing those hymns together in our home. And then oftentimes we find out about a need in the small group and we would come together to meet that need together. I loved it. And this is what God is calling us to. It's the difference between a small group and a, and a fringe membership. When you're in a small group, you're connected. When you're, in a, when you're fringe membership, you're in and out. You come and go. What I'm saying is this, is that we desperately need to get connected because this is where giving grows. Giving grows in fellowship. When we spend, live life together, we want to do more for one another. And this is what God calls us to. You know, I remember it's, it, our 30-year anniversary is coming up here in just a few months. And so you need to hear stories like this. It's really amazing, historically, right? So Gospel Light has outgrown its facility. Usually after the service, when people would walk up to me, they wouldn't say, good sermon, Pastor. They would say, well, seven cars drove off today, Pastor. We got to do something. There was no seats in the church at all. We had a 350-seat auditorium with 450 people every Sunday in the auditorium. It was insane. And we just were in trouble as far as being able to grow. So, so Chuck McAllister from Second Baptist calls me up and says, hey, we're moving. We'd like to sell you our buildings. The fast version of the story is I asked him how much. I was about 35 years old, 36 years old. I'm just a young whippersnapper preacher. I don't have much business sense. He said five and a half million. I said, oh, that's a good deal. We'll take it. Our offerings were 5000 a week. Go figure. So I go to our deacons, and they laugh at me. They say, Pastor, we can't afford five and a half million. I said, but we can't let this go. This is a God thing, you know. I'm just, I've learned a lot since those days. And they said, well, Pastor, it may be, but we can't afford five and a half billion. Let's go talk to the bank. So Dave Chittam and Tony Thomas went with me to the bank, and we sat down, and they were willing with some contingencies and with some things that we would have to do to soft commit us to offer him one million for everything. So I'll call Pastor Chuck. Hey, Pastor McAllister, Erica Pacey, we got an offer. Wonderful. We've been waiting for your call. I'll get all the deacons together and you can make your presentation. Oh, fantastic. So he gets all the deacons together. I walk into this room. It was it was one of the classrooms in what was what used to be called the Bayless building. Now it's called the Champion Building because we own it now, but 
And I sat in one of those classrooms with, with about 40 or 50 men. These guys were intimidating. I mean, they were, you know, I grew up to the church. I had like a, a 1988 Oldsmobile. And I was driving up looking at Cadillacs and Lexus and everything else. I mean, these guys were the big doggers of that church. It was great. They're my friends today, you know. Man, I felt so intimidated. Chuck said, all right, well, pastor, thanks for coming. We're ready to hear your offer. I said, well, pastor, we'd like to offer $1 million for everything. One of the deacons spoke up and said, you mean the gym? I said, no, everything, like all of it, like every building, every parking lot, every house, $1 million. That's our offer. They laughed. They said, that's an insult. I said, well, you didn't tell me how much to offer. You just said make an offer. That's all we can do. I walked out and didn't hear anything from them for two years. During those two, year, two years, our church exploded. We, we were absolutely reached. Uh, things were happening. Our offerings doubled, almost tripled. Our, our ministry was growing. There were great things happening. We were praying together like never before. I mean, there was so much prayer in the church for those two years. I never understood prayer until that happened because we knew that the only way we could do this was going to be because of God's power. And we had to pray. Two years later, Chuck called me. Hey, Eric, um, we're kind of thinking about, you know, uh, we, we haven't got any offers and we're, we're still sitting on this property and we'd really like to move on. Um, what if we took $3 million less? I said, now you're talking, Chuck. Our church had grown, so I went back to the bank with our deacons, and they said, we'll lend you the two and a half, but you're going to have to raise 700000 cash in six months. That's the scariest I've ever been in front of our church family, including this morning. I looked at a little congregation over here in the ghetto, where I live, by the way, and I stood up in front of our congregation, and I said, well, church, we got approved for two and a half million dollar loan. We can buy the whole shebang and keep what we've got. We got to raise seven hundred thousand cash in six months. I don't know how we're going to do it. I preached that Sunday. Started getting phone calls. Hey, pastor, we've got twenty thousand saved for a new car. We don't need the car. Hey, pastor, I, I got a, a ring that's worth about five thousand dollars. I don't even hardly ever wear it. Can I, can, can I give the ring, you guys sell it, and I'll just, I'll just use something smaller for a wedding ring? I've never in my life seen anything like it. In six months, we had 700,000 cash. I went to the bank, and I saw Acts chapter 2 come alive at Gospel Light. We are here today because of this passage of Scripture. This is what happened. The church said, thank you, Darlene. The church said, there's my friend right there. She's such a precious, I love you so much. But she, the church said, look, we see the common need is greater than the individual need. We're going to step up, and we're in this building today because of what I'm speaking about today. It grows in fellowship. And then finally, in closing, it blossoms, it flourishes at the point of need. This is where it gets good. It starts at conversion. It grows in fellowship. Look at it in the text, verse number 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all... As many as had what, church? Need. Need. I was taught as a leader in, in, in a conference I attended years ago, see the need. Israel, here it is. See the need, take the lead. See the need, take the lead. 
as we see needs in the church, we begin to take the lead in those needs. We see things the church needs. We hear about a need. We hear about a testimony. We're in small group, and, we, and that's when the church gets excited. Did you hear somebody need something? We can be a blessing. Did you hear the church needs a, an air conditioner? We ought to get together and try to do that. Let's, I'm going to call the pastor and see if I got an idea. I'm just throwing this out. Obviously, I, I already told you, I, I, there's an excitement about this that because of what God's done at Gospel Light for the past 30 years, it's really all boiled down to not we are a rich church where one guy can stroke a check and change everything. We've never been that. We've never been that kind of church. And I, I'm not saying I'm against that church. Hey, I would like it if somebody could stroke a check. That'd be fantastic. But that's not what God's called me to. He's called me to just preach like this and say, you know what? When we all together come together and give and then distribute as we see need, we make a difference. That's what we did at Love Day yesterday. There was cost involved. There was giving involved. There was finances involved. Sure. But God's people came together because we saw the need. And the place to do that is the local church. That's why when we give, we have budget giving. It's called tithes. Or you can call it whatever you're comfortable with. It, it, it's, it's, it goes towards keeping the lights on, paying the pastoral staff and, 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 and insurances and building upkeep, copy machines to print the worship guides. It's big time. It's just regular giving. It's like I'm giving regularly to help the church with its budget. Then there's missions giving. Missions giving is a little different because it's, it's usually giving that we distribute out to 15 different people. And our missions pastor has a lot of say in that and authority in that as he gets the elders' approval. But he helps us to figure out, okay, this is good. No, I don't know about this. I'm not sure about this. And he helps us. But with accountability, with accountability... We're giving to missionaries as you give. And we only can give what you give, what I give. And then there's this blessing offering. It's smaller. I give $10 a week to be transparent. And I give it every week because I'm there and I get the phone calls. And Carrie says, hey, a church member needs their lights. They lost their job. What do you think? And they fill out an application. Then Jeremy calls. And, and if we can do it, we pay that light bill. We pay that water bill. And usually it's in the church family or it's somebody who is a widow in the community or somebody who we've called the references. But because we have this money that we've set aside to bless people with, we can do it. Isn't that great? And so church, that's why we give through the local church. That's how they did it. And I believe in this strong. I realize you could just give or I want to give to this or give to that. And I'm not saying you can't do that. Not at all. You do as God has called you to do. And every man must be at peace in his own heart how you want to give your money. But I believe in all of my giving goes through the local church. As your pastor, I want to be accountable to you. I give everything other than an occasional being a blessing to somebody on the side. 99% of my giving, and I trust the elders, I trust the pastors, I trust the financial manager as we distribute the money to take care of the church, the missionaries, and the community. So that's my message on giving. And this is what I pray Gospelite will become. A generous church. More generous. A dad, as his little girl came home from school, 
She said, hey, Daddy, and they hugged each other, and he said, sweetheart, I got something for you. What's that, Daddy? He said, all right, I got one dollar. This is for the Lord. And one dollar, this is for the candy store. She said, Daddy, could I go right now to the store and spend this dollar on candy? He said, sure, honey. They had a little convenience store. She runs out of the house. She's jumping up and down like my grandkids are when I give them a dollar, right? She's jumping up and down. She runs out. She can't wait to get to the candy store. She falls and trips. And out of one of her hands comes a dollar and falls into the drainage hole. And she looked at that dollar and four or five feet down there in the water. And she looked at the dollar in her hand and she looked at the dollar and she looked at the dollar in her hand and she said, I'm sorry, God, I dropped your dollar. It's a cute little funny illustration of how some of us, including me, are about our money. We want to hold on to it. Isn't it amazing how small the dollar is at Walmart, but how big the dollar is at church? We can go to Walmart and we can throw money away. Uh, I want that. Yeah, sure, I get that. I want, I want the expensive cereal. Yeah, I get that. Or let's, let's splurge on the meat this week. Let's, and that's great. When we come to church, it's hard to find that dollar, isn't it? It's hard to give it. Why is that? It's our, it's our hearts. It's, this, is, this subject is so close to who we are as believers, truly believers. And so my prayer today for the church is that we would come to a place where we would be willing to put our faith in action, not just when it comes to our giving of our money, but also the giving of our time and our talents and our abilities. And so church family, I, I thank you for listening during this month of March. Thank you for your patience with me in the book of Acts. I've had a wonderful time. It's my favorite book in the Bible. I'm probably not finished yet. I'm just having a lot of fun myself. Thank you for responding. We're going to have a response time together. And if, as you feel led to pray at the altar, it'll be open. As you feel led to pray in your seats, pray with other believers. We tried that last week. If you want to just pray with each other. This is kind of the time where we just let go and let the Lord move and work. So however you feel led to worship to pray, come to the altar, pray in your seat. I'm going to ask us all to stand in a moment, but as the Lord leads, you respond accordingly. And let's just let God work in our hearts. If you've never been saved, you don't know Christ personally, I always want to make sure you know that he loves you and he will save you today. And I'll be up front along with someone else, one or two others, if you need someone to pray with you about that this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you for the gift of our church family. Dad, you're the best. I want to be more like you. I've got a good earthly dad. Not perfect. And you are. You're the best. Some of us have, Lord, been let down by our fathers here. But God, we've been called the children of God. So you are our father. And God, we desire to be just like you. God, help us to be like this in our generosity. Lord, there's no one more generous than you. You gave it all. You gave your son to shed his blood to die on the cross for my sins, which meant death to death and life for me. The innocent was guilty while the guilty went free. And God, I'm so in awe of your love. I can't imagine 
that kind of love apart from your example. So God, may we respond today in awestruck wonder of an amazing God who deserves our all. I love you, Jesus. For it's in your name I pray. We pray. Amen. Shall we stand together?